Hey, welcome to Rockbridge, all six of our physical locations. Those of you watching online, we're one church, multiple languages, multiple locations. My name is Matt, and hey, I'm just inspired by that video because some of the people that make Rockbridge, Rockbridge by helping us do life together, study God's Word together, care for one another, love one another, pray for one another, are our small group leaders. And, and look, we're just casting a net this weekend, just inviting you to pray into maybe God is going to is asking you, maybe God would move you to be a small group leader, to, uh, to help love some people, help people have great Bible-based conversations, and allow the Word of God to begin to bear fruit and show up in one another's lives. So you just heard some incredible testimonies by some incredible uh, Christ-following rock bridgers. And so listen, we would love to have a conversation with you just about that, if, if you're interested, if that's like caused a nudge from the Holy Spirit. Don't ignore that. You can go out into any of our connection spaces after the service and have that conversation. If you're watching online, you can put something in the comments or the chat. Pastor Mark will be in touch with you. And then for all of us at Rockbridge, you know, we're always about next steps and a great next step. And, and, and really, you cannot keep moving forward in your faith at the pace God wants you to. Uh, one of the means of grace God has for you is in a small group. So you can find out more information also at the connection area or rockbridge.cc slash groups. All right, we are in a series that I'm loving preaching through books of the Bible. We did 1 Corinthians a while ago, and we're doing 1 Samuel right now. It's amazing when we just submit ourselves to what is in God's Word and get the meaning that the Holy Spirit has in His Word and then see that bear fruit in our lives. So that's what we're doing in this Crown series. And uh, today, we're going to begin looking increasingly more at David. We saw David and Goliath, famous story last week. But in the spirit of the holidays, and we'll first want to wish everybody... Uh, as we head into Thanksgiving, I want to wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving, uh, and we've got so much to be thankful for. But what we're going to see in 1 Samuel chapter 18 is something that you probably aren't, th it's not on your like Thanksgiving list, right? If God has given you this, you may not even be thankful for it. And then as we look ahead to Christmas, this, this subject, this topic is not going to be on anybody's like Christmas list either. And, and hey, oh, oh, by the way, let me just go ahead and, and, and share this with you all. Christmas Eve this year is actually on a Sunday. All right, so what we're going to do is that Sunday, all of our services on that particular Sunday uh, are, are going to be the same. Uh, your campus pastors will get out service times to you, but that will, that will be our Christmas Eve experience, our Christmas Eve service, whether you come at uh, you know, 9.30 or whenever your, your campus's times are. But we want that to be a high-invite service. We are going to begin praying and encouraging one another. Who are you going to invite to Christmas Eve services at Rockbridge Community Church 2023? All right, so back to this. this. This thing that is in 1 Samuel 17, this, this topic is not on, nobody's going to say, thank God for this. Nobody's going to say, God, I want this for Christmas. And what is it? It's humility. It's humility. Uh, Proverbs 3.34 says something crazy. It says something about humility. God mocks those who mock or opposes those who are stubborn, but God gives grace to the humble. So we want God's undeserved favor, right? We want God's undeserved blessing, right? But the very condition we need to be in 
to receive that grace, that favor, those blessings is a condition many of us are averse to having. And we're certainly not discipled by our culture of narcissism, our culture of selfie, our culture of me, myself, and I, our flesh which screams, what about me? And look at me. We are certainly not discipled by any of those forces to ask God or pursue humility in our lives. And yet it is the dominant virtue or the required condition for us to be in to receive all the great things God has for us. James 4, 6. God gives grace generously. That's, we want his grace. But as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If we ever feel like God is against us, the only way he is is if it's against our pride because God can't give grace when we are in a state of pride. God can't give blessings when we're in a state of pride. And so what we're going to see as we journey with David from the pasture to the palace, uh, through ups and downs, and eventually to being the king over Israel, is that God has to work humility into people, into us, so that he can bless, favor, and use us. It's almost like we could say this, right? Water flows downhill. God's grace flows to the humble. God's grace flows to the humble. And yet we all know pride is a constant battle. And, and so what we want to do today is get under the hood of humility. Because it's one of the most misunderstood and the least desired virtues. But it is the condition we need to find ourselves in if God is going to give his best to us. So let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18. Verse 1, and immediately right out of the page, we're going to see humility from the crown prince, Jonathan. When David had finished speaking with Saul, this is right after the death, the defeat of Goliath and the rout of the Philistines that we looked at last week. Jonathan, the king's son, was bound to David in close friendship and loved him as much as he loved himself. So they become just tight brothers and friends, and this is a friendship that will endure the turbulence of Saul's, or excuse me, of Jonathan's erratic father. Saul kept David with him from that day on, the day of Goliath's defeat, and did not let him return to his father's house. Back to Jonathan. He made a covenant, that's a commitment, a binding commitment with David because he loved him as much as he loved himself. Then Jonathan does something incredible. He removed the robe he was wearing, his royal robe. He gave it to David, along with his military tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Symbolically, what Jonathan is doing is acknowledging that David is the king, or is going to be the king. Jonathan is surrendering his uh, ge genealogical, if you will, by blood relation to his father Saul. He's surrendering all of that to David and, and submitting himself to the eventual true king of Israel, which will become King David. That's an amazing, amazing act of humility because who says, you know what, you deserve the promotion, not me. 
Who says to, you know, hey, it's not about me, it's about you and God's plans for you. That's a position of incredible humility. And as we watch this humility in, in Jonathan, we get some foundations. What, what, is, what is humility built upon? All right. First, it's seeing what God has done. Jonathan watched what God did in the incredible, unlikely defeat of Goliath, and he was amazed by it. We look at what God has done on the cross when he defeated the ultimate Goliaths of sin, Satan, and death, right? And when we see what God has done, it humbles us. It it positions us in awe of who God is. So Jonathan knows because of what he saw God do through David that David is the rightful king of Israel. Another foundation of humility is accepting whose kingdom it is, right? Because don't all of us like and want to have our own little kingdom, whether it's our favorite spot where we watch our TV or it's our company, or our family, or our street, or our sport. We all want our kingdom. Humility comes when we realize it's not my kingdom, it's God's kingdom. So David is the rightful king, which points us to Jesus, who's the true eternal king. And then a third foundation of humility is embracing our role in the kingdom. We all have a role. God has significance for us. God has good works mapped out, planned out for us to do, right? And it's embracing that our role, in Jonathan's case, I'm not going to be the king. I'm not even the crown prince. It's Jesus's. But Jonathan, and we'll see this as the story unfolds in the next several weeks, has a role to play, just like you and I have a role to play. But our role to play is determined by the sovereign grace of a gracious God. Those are foundations of humility. Now, we also learn, we said that humility is very misunderstood. Here's some things humility is not. It is not insecurity. When Jonathan does this, and to love someone like Jonathan loved David, and and we saw Jonathan a couple of weeks ago initiate an incredibly courageous battle charge. So Jonathan is not operating out of insecurity. He knows who he is, and he knows who he isn't. Humility is not indecisiveness. We, we have the ability to choose. We have human agency. God gives us the dignity of responsibility. So it's not, woe is me, I don't know what to do. He's just decisively de- moving forward with what God has planned for him and for David. And humility is not inactive, inactivity. We're supposed to be doers of the word, followers of the word, building our lives upon the rock of the word. So it's not inactivity. So this chapter starts with this incredible image and picture of humility. And now we turn back in Jonathan. Now we turn out to David. David marched out with the army and was successful. Probably a fuller definition of that word, David acted wisely and prospered. He was successful in everything Saul sent him to do. Saul put him in command of the fighting men, which pleased all the people and Saul's servants as well. As the troops were coming back, when David was returning from killing the Philistine, Goliath, the women came out from all the cities of Israel to meet King Saul, singing and dancing with tambourines, with shouts of joy, with three-stringed instruments. As they danced, the women sang, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. So the question now, we've seen how David responded 
to the giant. We've seen how he responded to the pasture and to the put-downs of his older brother. Uh, We've seen all that. We saw him meet the challenge of Goliath with humble dependence upon God. But now, how is he going to handle the challenge of success? Do you know success and prosperity, that thing we all want, it's on our thankful list and it's on our Christmas wish list? Do you know success and prosperity can actually become an enemy to God's best for us? Because it makes us not humble, it makes us what? Boastful or prideful. Or we think, man, look what I have done or look at who I am. You see, a long time ago, right, people used to think that the earth was the center of the universe and then a thing called the Copernican Revolution where we realized, no, the sun, not the universe the, of our solar system, we realized the sun was the center of the solar system and everything revolved around the sun. See, when, when we understand humility and we understand who God is, what God has done, we understand God's kingdom, and this is what the shift that you see taking place in Jonathan, we realize, you know, it's not our world, right? We realize the sun, son of God, is really the center. But one of Satan's ongoing attacks and tactics and one of the things that our flesh loves to do is to go from this, the sun in the center, to me, my deal, and my world in the center, to go backwards. And so now David, he's in the pasture. David, he's playing his lyre for King Saul. David, in humble humble dependence, defeats the giant. David understands he's not it. He's not the center. But the temptation when we have success and all the women are saying, wow, look at all the people. Look at what David has done. Look at David. He's bigger, greater, accomplished more than Saul. The temptation is that David will go back and do this. Same for you and I, right? So in the midst of these praises and the praise of these people, How's David going to respond? Listen, nobody, nobody is singing his praises when he's keeping the few sheep of his father Jesse's pasture. Nobody's applauding him when he rescues a sheep from a lion or or a wild animal. He's just doing his job. But now he kills Goliath. Now he starts leading the king's army in battle against the Philistines. So now he's got praise. He's got attaboy. He's got human applause. The thing that our ego loves to feed on. And how is David going to respond? We first get a contrast with Saul. Saul becomes furious. He resented this song. Look what Saul says. They credited tens of thousands to David. He complained. See, complaining is often an indicator that we're not humble, we're prideful. Because we're not getting what we think we deserve. We're not being treated like we think we deserve. We're not getting the accolades, the promotions, the praises like we think we deserve. But they only, look at what he says, he complained, but they only credited me with thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul watched David jealously from that day forward. See, in Saul's world, he's the center. And anything that's a threat to him being at the center, he's mad. He's complaining because he's prideful. Right? But the only way God can bless 
is if we're humble. So David, we see him in adversity and in prosperity. Both can arouse pride. Or both can produce humble dependence. Back to Saul. The next day, an evil spirit sent from God came powerfully upon Saul. We've said previously this could be called a distressing spirit. It's a type of judgment. I want to speak a little bit more into this because this this is one of those things in the Bible that you scratch your head and you're like, that makes me mad. I don't understand that. Let's get a New Testament understanding of it. Here's what's going on. I think a New Testament theological description of what's going on in the palace of Saul. Because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God. We just read where Saul didn't acknowledge God, right? In fact, he's disobeyed God on multiple times, right? Then God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. This is what's happening to King Saul. So Saul has this evil spirit, and he began to rave inside the palace. David was playing the lyre as as usual, but Saul was holding a spear, and he threw it thinking, I'll pin David to the wall But David got away from him, and this is the most challenging word, I think, in all of chapter 18. But David got away from him twice. Like, the first time he tries to kill you, why did you go back? Why why, why did you put yourself back in that position? Or, Or even better yet, David, why didn't you go a little Yellowstone, right? Why didn't you go a little Jack Bauer, whichever time period relates to you, right? Why, 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 why didn't you like go, go man up to the king and put the king in his place? You know, fool me once, right? Shame on me. Fool, uh, shame on you. Fool me twice. So, what is going on here? Why does David go back to a bad leader, a crazy leader, who has been given over to his evil heart? Why? There's only one explanation. Only one. Because he is in humble submission on the platform God has currently given him. Are you? Am I? Who brought David out of the pasture? Well, God did. Who put him in a position to serve the king as his musician his armor bearer, and a commander of a portion of his army. Well, God gave him that platform. Has God yet opened the door for David to become the king? No, he hasn't. So what does David do? He humbly submits in the place that God has positioned him under the authority that God has put over him. New Testament, here's exactly what David has done. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And oftentimes, the mighty hand of God is our parents, our government, our bosses. In fact, in in the New Testament, you know, a lot of people complain about their bosses. In the New Testament, in, in Peter, it says, honor the emperor. The emperor who's trying to kill and persecute a a portion of Christians throughout the Roman Empire? Yeah, honor that guy. Why? Because authority ultimately comes 
from the Lord. Not to stay, uh, you know, not, not to stay uh, uh, under, uh, there's, there's limits to that authority, right? But that's the posture we should be in. Why? So that he may exalt you, David, at the proper time. See, God does not just want David to be king. But he wants David to be a certain type of king. God does not want you to just be a husband. God does not want you to just be a student athlete. God does not just want you to be a mom. God does not just want me to be a husband, a dad, a pastor. God does not want you just to have a job. God wants you to also be a certain type of person. And one aspect is that you and I would be people who humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And he will exalt us at the proper time. Three characteristics of humility, true humility, begin to emerge. First, we're dependent upon God's grace. That means we're dependent upon things we don't deserve, don't earn. That's embedded in creation. Did anybody make the sun come up this morning? Didn't think so. Did anybody produce the, 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 the air quality so that we have enough oxygen to function? Didn't think so. Did anybody put the earth at this incredible distance from the sun uh, on, a, on a specific angle on its axis so that we don't burn up and we don't freeze to death? Didn't think so. It's better than creation, right? When we get to heaven, no one will be able to say, hey, I'm here because I'm a good person. We'll say I'm here because of the grace of God displayed on the cross of Christ, right? So characteristic of humility is we're dependent upon God's grace. We're unconcerned with power, prestige, and position. We see that in Jonathan. We see that in David. David is the promised king, but he's not at this moment the appointed king, and he's unconcerned with that, so he responds to Saul in humble submission. There'll be a time when he has to run because the crazy gets just so extreme, and he's told to get out of Dodge. But at this moment, twice he'll go back and submit himself and play the liar, and the crazy king will throw the spear. And we trust in God's word even when it's hard to understand. Remember, David had God's word. Samuel, the prophet, anointed him with oil in front of his brothers, in front of his father. You are going to be the king of Israel. And, and David goes back to the pasture, and David gets brought to the palace, and David goes and defeats the giant, and now he's under Saul. And it's like, I don't understand, God, what's going on? When's this going to happen, God? How's this going to come about, God? But I'm going to trust in God's word. That's a characteristic of true humility. You don't have to understand everything to be in submission to it. Can it did, I mean, there's probably only a handful of people here that actually understand how an airplane flies. Yet you've probably flown before. In submission to the authority and the, and the aerodynamics and the laws of such that allow the plane to fly. It's the same thing. We submit to God's authority and the laws that he has put in place to thrive in his kingdom and our place in it. And then you see David, then let's turn back and contrast him with the king he will eventually replace, Saul. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had left Saul 
Therefore Saul sent David away from him, made him commander over a thousand men. David continued to lead the troops, continued to be successful in all his activities because the Lord was with him. When Saul observed that David was very successful, he dreaded him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he was leading their troops. So Saul told David, here is my oldest daughter. Now we're going to get into marriage, right? Here's my oldest daughter, Merab. I'll give her to you as a wife if you will be a warrior for me and fight the Lord's battles. But what Saul was thinking, he goes, I don't need to raise a hand against him. I don't have to deal with David. Let the hand of the Philistines be against him. The law of averages. If I send him out to fight enough times, eventually a spear of the Philistines will hit him. And and so we see the conniving, evil Saul even putting his daughter in the mix and offering her as some kind of reward. And and here's the question that we're going to keep asking throughout this chapter, really throughout David's life, but it's really the question we should ask in our life. How does humility manifest in this situation? And how does it manifest in my, you walked in here with a situation, how does it manifest in my specific situation? Because, you know, I think a lot, there's probably a, a, a large number of us here today, and we're asking maybe a version of this question, what's God's will in this situation? Let's take that a step further. In this situation that you're facing, You want God's grace on it. You want God's favor on it. You want God's perspective on it. You want God's wisdom over it. You got to be humble. So one way to take the God's will question a step further is, okay, how does humility show up in this situation? Some of you have bad marriages. And you don't know where to start picking up the mess. Humble yourself. That may look like telling some people you need help and going to counseling. Guys that sit there like, no, I don't. That's not humility talking, is it, man? That's pride. And who is God against? Pride. Right? Some of you got a bad family dynamic and you're like dreading Thanksgiving. You're dreading Christmas. How do I get through it? God, what do I do? How does humility show up in that relationship? And you can lay humility over any circumstance or any situation. If we are hungry for God's grace, we will humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. So, David has been offered the queen's daughter in marriage. He's not aware of the plot to kill him by keep putting him on the front lines against the Philistines. How does David respond? Here's the question. Here's the response. Then David responded, who am I? And what is my family or my father's clan in Israel that I should ever become the king's son-in-law? Humility. Well, when it was time for Saul's daughter Merab to be given to David, she was given to Adriel the Maholothite as a wife. So Saul reneged on his promise probably, most commentators believe, to see if that would poke David into a malicious response, a response of animus, a response of maybe uh, frustration or anger that would then justify maybe taking David out, maybe through the, uh, just a king's order. So he lost Merab. Now the attention turns to another daughter, 
of Saul, Michael. She loved David. And when it was reported to Saul, it pleased him. Because, oh, maybe now this is how I can get him. He goes, I'll give her to him, Saul thought, and she'll be a trap for him. And the hand of the Philistines will be against him. So Saul said to David a second time, you can now be my son-in-law. Saul then ordered his servants, speak to David in private and tell him, look, the king is pleased with you and all his servants love you. Therefore, you should become the king's son-in-law. Saul's servants reported these words directly to David, but he replied, how does humility show up? He replied, is it trivial in your sight to become the king's son-in-law? This is no small matter. Marriage is no small matter. I'm just a poor commoner. He knows his roots. That's not a statement of insecurity. He's like, I'm not supposed to be. That, that's not what I do. That's not me. Well, the servants reported this back to Saul and said, these are the words David spoke. Then Saul replied, say this to David. The king desires no other bride price except a hundred Philistine foreskins to take revenge on his enemies. So the process back then was a dowry, right? And David wanted to submit to that if he was going to have Michael as his wife, he needed to have a payment to her father. So Saul says, go kill a um, hundred Philistines, right? And Saul's really intending that this would cause David to die at the hand of the Philistines. But the servants tell these terms to David. David was now pleased because he can fulfill the way to honor her father through the payment of the dowry. So he's pleased to become the king's son-in-law before the wedding day. He and his men went out, and they didn't kill 100. They killed 200. Why, why, what's the difference between 100 and 200? He's honoring Saul by doing more than Saul required. So then Saul gave his daughter Michael to David as his wife. Saul realized again that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michael loved him. And he became even more afraid of David. As a result, Saul was David's enemy from then on. Every time the Philistine commanders came out to fight, David was more successful than all of Saul's officers, so his name became well-known. Why can God bless David with such success? Because David is in the blessable position or the blessable condition. David is humble. Now, there's three things we need to see about humility. Okay, can we see that there is protection in humility? See, we think there's vulnerability, right? We think if I'm humble, I become a doormat. No, 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 no. We're protected when we're humble. What are we protected from? Victimhood, bitterness, and cynicism. Because we'll never, ever be a slave to the notion of I'm not getting what I deserve. Grace, by definition, is undeserved. We'll never be become a victim of uncontrollable anger. We're protected from this. We're protected from self-oriented stress, worry, and fear. So much of our stress is because we think we're at the center, right? That the Copernican shift hasn't happened in our soul. We're protected from irrational actions that come from pride. Don't raise your hand. I'll raise it for everybody here. Who has done something dumb because of your pride? Thank you, right? We're protected when we humble ourselves under the hand of the Lord. We also need to see something. This is one thing in my own walk with the Lord and my own sanctification I'm working on. Would we see that every situation is actually an opportunity to humble ourselves and therefore receive grace from the Lord? 
difficult people, unfair attitudes, prosperity and success, thankfulness. Help me to be humble. Difficult people. They're opportunities to manifest, to grow in humility, which is the condition of receiving God's best, God's grace, for God's glory. But the third thing, perhaps the most important thing, is we also need to see that there is one greater than David. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he was God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped or held on to. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even the criminal's death, the cursed death, the despicable death, death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen, right? To become a Christian, you have to humble yourself and realize that you played a part in placing Jesus on the cross. And realize that you needed him to pay your debt and live the life you should have lived. When you reach that spot, you can say, Lord Jesus, save me. And thank you for what you did for me. As best I know how, I'm going to submit to you and follow you from this day forward. If you're ready to make that decision, that commitment to follow Christ today, praise God. Let us know on the next step card. Have a conversation in the chat on the online uh, service or go to a connection area in the lobby. Love to talk to you about following Jesus. Next step's baptism, getting plugged into a small group so you keep growing with one another. But for all of us here today, how you start with Christ by humbling yourself at the foot of the cross is how you continue to follow Christ and live day by day, moment by moment. From the grace that comes when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, let's pray together. God, it's amazing that you are a humble God. It's amazing, Jesus, that you bore a cross you didn't deserve. You became a servant to the ones who rebelled and committed treason against your own rule and kingdom. Jesus, we thank you for your humility. Because from your humility, your love flows to us. Your grace comes to us. Jesus, would you find every heart right now 
humbled to say, God, we need you. We need more of your grace. We need you. And we thank you, Jesus, that you promise to give great grace to your people who are humble under your hand. The same hand that took the nails. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.